And that's kind of the awesomeness of, um, of our, our one mediator that we have. But now I'm giving it all away. I'm selling the store. All right. I'm going to push the right arrow. You ready? Oh, wow. It's a multimedia event. I better look at what time it is. I might get carried away here. Okay. I like the Bullwinkle title, so here we go. Getting incensed over incense or easy altar coverings and two easy steps. I spent most of the morning Thursday breaking up aluminum beer cans with a bunch of recovering alcoholics, and they said, Dan, this is a horrible thing for you to do to us because it makes us all want to relapse. And I wanted to burn incense this morning, but I realized I was in Bloomington. And I didn't want to make anybody relapse because I know you can buy a lot of incense type things in Bloomington. So that's your warning. (laughs) Next week that might happen. All right, let's start off in Exodus 20, verses 18 through 19. When the people saw thunder and lightning, what in the world? Okay, it's Exodus. If it's Exodus, you think Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, people coming out of Egypt. Moses led millions of people out of Egypt. It was a cataclysmic event. It, um, it ruined the country of Egypt. I'll just say that much and, and we'll move on. Um, Moses goes out, he's on the top of a mountain and he's talking to God and while he talks to God, there's just boom, explosions, fire, lightning. The whole top of the building is just exploding. It's like a dark cloud and, but there's no storm. And it's just right, it's like the wily e. Coyote cloud. And it's just kaboom, all this business. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning, they heard the trumpet, there were trumpets blaring. There was no marching band, but when God spoke, it sounded like trumpets. Saw the mountain and spoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. They said, don't let God talk to us. Stand between us. Stand in the way. Stand in front of the Spirit. No. Stand in our way. You talk to God, and then you talk to us, and we'll do whatever you say. They were too afraid of God. They were terrified. And so the priests were invented. And there's all these different tribes. They were descended from 12 sons of Jacob. And the, there was one tribe that chose to be close to God while everybody else was worshiping the golden calf. And they were the tribe of Levi. So the whole tribe of Levi, these are going to be the guys that carry God's furniture. They're going to be the ones that put the tabernacle together, take the tabernacle apart, serve in the temple when the temple gets built. But out of the tribe of Levi... There's one son named Aaron, one descendant named Aaron, and the sons of Aaron are going to be the only guys that can really go in the temple. They're the only ones that are going to be able to make the actual right up close and personal with God's sacrifices. So you got the Levites, which is a couple couple hundred thousand guys. You've got the sons of Aaron. Well, later on it'll be a couple hundred thousand. At this point, it's uh, tens of thousands in the tribe of Levi. Then the sons of Aaron shrinks down. They're the only ones. So to get this whole thing started, they go up and they have dinner with God on the mountain with the fire and the lightning and the boom and the bang and all that business. And they go up and they eat and it says they see God and they ate and they were terrified, but they didn't die. They eat, they learn how to burn holy fire before the Lord. 
You know, you, you, everybody always talks about the sacrifice. They sacrificed the goats, they sacrificed lambs and bulls. If you were poor, you'd sacrifice a dove. But there was also this kind of incense burning sacrifice that they would burn. But let me tell you about Nadab and Abihu. Just say that with me. Nadab and Abihu. It's fun, isn't it? I know you like that. Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu were the two oldest sons of Aaron. And after they have dinner with God and they see God's glory and they learn how to burn holy fire, they're like, man, we got to do this. Let's go do it. So they get together. Hey, hey, Nadab, what Abihu? Let's go burn holy fire before the Lord. So they go burn holy fire before the Lord. Oh, it didn't turn out real good. Leviticus 10 says they brought unauthorized fire. There's one translation that says they brought strange fire. Strange. They wanted to do religious stuff. They wanted to be religious. We're high priests. Let's do it. Let's burn holy fire. I want to burn holy fire. Let's go. But they didn't care about the source of that instruction. It was God. And God said, here's how you do it. They didn't care about that part. They just wanted to go do it. Let's just go burn holy fire. So they were burning holy fire for the sake of burning holy fire. Something bad happened. Fire came out from the Lord, consumed both of them, burned them to a crisp. A distant cousin comes in, hauls off their bodies, throws it outside the camp. Now the oldest sons of Aaron are Eleazar and Ithamar. Ithamar, you're not going to hear very much about, so you don't have to memorize his name. Eleazar, get ready. Oh, yeah. So Eleazar is now the oldest son of Aaron. All right? Because you know what I'm saying? Okay. Oh, there's Eleazar. So Eleazar was there when his brothers, his two oldest brothers that he loved, they were old enough to do this on their own, so they had spent time together. His brothers died. He could have seen it happen. He certainly saw the aftermath of it. So that hit him close. So all of a sudden, this whole business of burning holy fire goes up a level, right? It's not just burning incense anymore, because now we see if you do it wrong, you get burnt to a crisp. And your little brother becomes the oldest brother. Dan and I have a mutual friend. His name's Josh Schuler. He's the best chainsaw user I know. He, we chopped down this big old tree in the middle of my, in the front of my yard, and he carved it into a cross, and he's just moving around with that chainsaw. I'm like, man, you are so good at that. He's like, yeah, I was. He pulls up his pant leg. He has a scar, goes all the way across his thigh, where back in the day he was cutting a tree and just slipped, and he almost chopped his whole leg right off. He says, it's easy to use a chainsaw. You just have to respect it. You think a guy that almost chopped his leg off is going to have respect for a chainsaw? It's probably why. I mean, I go out with a chainsaw, and I'm like, Nadab and Abihu, let's cut this and cut this, and I'm using it like a lightsaber. <laughs> Josh is just real meticulous. <laughs> Serious business. Well, that's what, I think that a little bit of that started going with Eleazar. Let's go to number 16. So time passes, and now, uh, it's, it's kind of funny, you can look this up on your own. The way they camped, the way the Israelites camped in the wilderness, 
is all of God's stuff was in the middle, and the Levites surrounded all of God's stuff on every side so nobody could get through, just so you wouldn't have an Adab and Abihu event. And then there were other tribes camped out from that. And uh, the Reubenites were another one of those clans, another one of those tribes, and they were camped out there. And, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Numbers 16, 1 and 2. Now Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, that's a big deal, Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, who were Reubenites, not Levites, Reubenites, took men and rebelled against Moses. Along with some of the Israelites, 250 leaders of the community chosen from the assembly. They were famous men. Famous men. Let me tell you about Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Korah is the only Levite in the group, and he's rebelling against Moses. Rabbinical tradition says that he found some of Joseph's hidden treasures. Remember, Joseph was second in command of all of Egypt during the famine. He saved millions of people. Well, the rabbi, uh, ancient Jewish rabbis tell these stories that he had treasures and treasures and treasures, and he hid them all over Egypt. And that Korah found one of those treasures and was rich as can be. So he's rich, and he's powerful because he's rich, and he's rebelling against Moses. Dathan and Abiram. They are son one and son two. They are the two top dogs in the Reubenite clan. The tribe of Reuben was huge. So to be the top two dogs in the huge clan means you have power. So they had power in the Reubenite clan. Korah had, he didn't have power in the Levite clan because he wasn't Aaron, but he had cash, right? But Reubenites were never meant to be Levites. All the people are worshiping the golden calf. Moses says, who is with me? Who is going to be with the Lord? And the only people that went to him were Levites. And so God said, the tribe of Levi is my chosen tribe. These are my guys. That's my boy. And they picked him. And he said, from here on, only Levites, not Reubenites. Well, Korah didn't like it. Korah didn't like it one bit. He didn't like it that Moses and Aaron had special privileges. They got to get money from people. They got to get food from people. Whenever you brought a sacrifice, God would get part, the high priest would get part, and then you would get part. Whenever you'd bring a sacrifice to God, the, the priest would get part of it. Part of it would be sacrificed to God, and then you would get the rest, and it would be holy. And that's how the Levites made their living. That was how they got paid. That was how they fed their families. Korah said everyone was equally holy. And he was right. All of God's people were holy. They were all God's chosen people. But not everybody had the same job. Not everybody had the same calling. They were all God's people, but God needed them to do some different things. I guess I could have left that one out. I already said that, didn't I? Korah was a Levite. He was a cousin of Aaron, not a son. Numbers 16.9. 
This is great. This is Moses talking to Korah. Korah's mad. He's got 250 leaders with him. Dathan and Abiram are against him. Moses says, does it seem too small a thing that, to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the community of Israel to bring you near to himself? He's made you a Levite, Korah. Come on. To perform the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the community to minister to him. Korah, you get to bring sacrifices. Korah, you and your brothers get to carry the Ark of the Covenant. God's dwelling place with man. You guys carry the thing. Is it so much? Is that not enough? Is it not enough that you get to build God's holy tabernacle in the wilderness and then you step back and a pillar of fire, which is the presence of God, comes down and lands on your handiwork? Is that not enough? You got to be a boss? He's brought you near and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. Do you now seek the priesthood also? Do you want to be a priest? Korah wanted the religious powers. He wanted the activities. I want to burn holy fire. It's not fair, Moses. I want to burn holy fire too. Moses sat for 40 days on the top of that mountain face to face with God, with thunder and fire going on all around him, not Korah. It says there was a tent outside the camp and Moses would go and meet with him and a pillar of fire would fall down and when Moses would meet with God, it doesn't mention Korah going to meet with God. But now Korah wants to do all the religious stuff. Come on, Moses, let me burn fire. He didn't trust God. Korah didn't trust God's decisions. God said, I want Moses to do this. I want the Levites to do this. I want the sons of Aaron to do this. I want all you guys to do this. And Korah said, I don't like that. I want to go do it myself. I want to go do it my own way because that looks fun and I want to go do that. I work at a rescue mission and a lot of times we give guys a job and then they get key-itis and we call it key-itis. That means you got a key and you think you're bad stuff because you got a key to this room or you got a key to that room. And we'll even say on staff, oh, so-and-so came down with key-itis. We're all like, oh, come on. Don't do it. Authority is a responsibility. It's not a reward. You're not given authority because you did something good. You're given responsibility because you showed yourself faithful. You show yourself faithful, you get responsibility. It's not a reward. It is rewarding, but it's not given as a reward. And anytime it is, it's a corrupt government and you don't want to live there. Trust me on that. Moses' reaction, his face is to the ground. Moses' face goes to the ground over and over through this stuff. Anytime the people grumble against Moses, Boom, he is down. He doesn't get up in their face. He doesn't get his chest all big. What are you talking about? What are you going to talk smack about me? You're going to talk bad about me? I'm Moses. No. He doesn't go after him. He's face to the ground. See, since 
Responsibility and authority is not a reward. Greatness in God's kingdom comes with humility. It is sobering. It is a sobering, humbling thing when God puts authority on you to do something. It is amazing. It's an amazing thing. But good old Korah, no mention of him humbling himself. Moses falls on his face and he says, Oh God, God have mercy on these people. God, don't look at this guy. Don't look at, don't punish them. Moses is talking all about God and Moses is talking all about the people. Korah, talking about himself. Why shouldn't we be able to do this? We should be able to do this. We can burn fire. I know how to burn incense. I know how it works. I can do that. Put me in. Come on. Let's do it. <laughs> Remember Dathan and Abiram? They don't even show up. They don't even come to Moses. They stay at their houses. They stay home. They're going to grumble from afar. They're going to be passive aggressive. They're going to greet him at Golden Corral with a warm handshake. And then they're going to sit at the opposite end of the restaurant and talk about what a failure he is. And why he isn't special, because I could burn incense myself. But Moses doesn't disregard them. He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't go, oh, give it up, Cora. He doesn't push him off. He says, okay. We're going to do something about this. Number 16, 16, Moses said to Korah, you and all your company present yourselves before the Lord, you and them and Aaron tomorrow. And each of you, oh, there's a typo right there. Each of you take his censer. That's the, uh, it was like a metal thing on chains. It might've been a pan with a handle on it. We aren't real sure put incense in it, then each of you presents his censer before the Lord, 250 censers, along with you and Aaron and each of you, everybody. Cora, get your 250 guys, get Dathan and Abiram, every one of you, and let's meet tomorrow morning. Remember Eleazar? You think right at this moment... Eleazar is going, oh, snap. It is going to happen. Because <laughs> he remembers. As much as he loved his older brothers, he knows exactly what that means. Right? So the next day, Cora and company show up. All 250 of them, they bring their their sensors, they are ready to burn some fire. But Moses, Dathan and Abiram don't show up. So Moses goes to the home of Dathan and Abiram. And God says, Moses, Aaron, scoot over. I'm going to wipe out all these people. And I'm going to start over with just you two. Moses says, don't, don't, you know, Moses on his face. Don't do it, Lord. Don't wipe out all these people just because of one man's sin. Don't do it. He's like, all right, everybody get away from Dathan and Abiram's stuff. Everybody get away, get away from their camp, get away from their house. Moses goes to the front, goes to their house. He says, 
if these men die, imagine somebody standing across the street from your house shouting this real loud. If these men die a natural death, or if they share the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. (sighs) But if the Lord does something entirely new, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up along with all that they have and they go down alive to the grave, then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. Catch that last phrase. These men have despised the Lord. So far, all their grumbling has been against Moses. Moses, why do you get to do this? Moses, why do you get to do that? Aaron, why are you? Because they despised the Lord. They wanted to do the religious stuff, but they didn't want to go to the source. They couldn't handle drawing close to God. They just wanted to do the things that God's people do, but not really get close to Him. So what happens? You know what happens? Have you read this before? I'll give you a hint. God sent Moses. whole earth opens up, swallows them all up. Big, you know, there's people running for their lives away from it going, ah, they're going to open up the ground under us too. Running, fleeing. I just like, my goodness, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. It's a good thing God doesn't do this kind of thing all the time. Because even nowadays, it's crazy. Like this 300-foot deep hole that opened up in Guatemala and like swallowed two teenagers and a parent. Like, serious. This wasn't even in the desert. This was urban. I'm not drawing connection. I'm just letting you picture the thing. I don't, I don't, I'm not judging these people at all. See that one on the left? That's a house. That was in uh, Missouri, I think. Crazy. But remember Korah? Remember Eleazar? Remember Nadab and Abihu? Those guys are all out burning their fire, and fire comes out from the Lord and devoured the 250 men that were offering incense. So they're over, they're, you know, they're nowhere close. They're blocks and blocks away in front of the tabernacle where they're not supposed to be, burning fire that they're not supposed to burn. And fire comes out and consumes them. A lot of times in the scriptures, the glory of the Lord is described as a fire. Moses, Moses in the burning bush, that was the glory of the Lord was on that, that fire. Uh, the day of Pentecost, there's, there's fire on the guys while they were praying and they spoke all these different languages. It was fire. Sometimes, oh, the first time they dedicate the temple, first time they dedicate uh, the temple in Israel, the glory of the Lord comes down and Levitical priests are running for their lives out of the temple. And the fire is like, foosh. Make a movie out of that. Whenever you see the glory of the Lord, you're going to see it on his terms. If you want to see God, you better get yourself ready if you really want to see him. If you want to see him face to face. Because that's the only way you're going to see it. One day I was walking down the streets in this city we lived in, in Central Asia. And I was thinking about angels and demons and Frank Peretti novels and all that crazy stuff. And I was praying, God, show me. Just let me see what's going on spiritually. Just let me see. I was in a city 
you know, millions of people crowded. I was like, God, let me just see. And I, I really felt like God said to me right at that moment, you can't handle it, Dano. I'm not going to let you. You'd be so discouraged. And I was like, oh, I am discouraged. Be, be careful. Know what you're asking for. It says in, in uh, one of the first or second Peter, our God is a consuming fire. And then guess what? Poor Eleazar is the one called in for cleanup. NIV actually says, separate the metal from their charred bodies. Like it was melted in the midst of them. Yeah, gruesome. So they weren't consumed like War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise where they just go, and they're gone. You know, it was, yeah. So Eleazar comes in and does a cleanup on these guys. Numbers 1637, tell Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, to pick up the censers out of the flame for they are holy. Wait a minute. Those censers, those metal things have now been made holy because God went through and purified those guys, sort of, and, uh, and the metal that remains is holy. And then scatter the coals of fire at a distance. As for the censors of these men who sinned at the cost of their lives, they must be made into hammered sheets for covering the altar because they presented them before the Lord and sanctified them. They will become a sign to the Israelites. What? So you're taking all the metal from those guys... You beat it out flat into a sheet, and that is the cover of the altar on which sacrifices are going to be made. So every time a son of Aaron goes in and makes a sacrifice and he lays it down on the altar, that whole thing is a reminder that you need to really take this stuff seriously. This is not just playing with cutting up sheep and throwing smoke around and wearing fancy robes. This is the real deal. And so that would be the cover of the altar on which every sacrifice would be made from that point forward. A constant reminder that, that there's some holy stuff going on here. And it is it's for real. So only the sons of Aaron can burn incense before God. Did we get that? Is that kind of clear now? <laughs> There's no word of Korah. It's pretty amazing the sons of Korah didn't go with him in that adventure. He must have gotten his 250 followers somewhere else because as you read through the book of Psalms, a lot of the Psalms were written by the sons of Korah. So, you know, you, you hear about a, a guy dying and his kids drawn closer to God because their dad died, that's one of them. Sons of Korah probably wrote half the book of Psalms. Only the sons of Aaron can burn incense before God. They're the mediator. God said, these are the guys that are going to be the mediator. Okay, what's a mediator do? A mediator represents both parties. He's going to go to God, and he's going to do his business. He's going to bring it back to the people and do business with the people. He's going to take the people's business back to God. 
He represents both parties. He protects both parties. Because we know what happens if somebody that's not the mediator tries to go over there and burn holy fire. Right? We also saw Moses on his face. God, when, when Moses would plead with God to not blow up all the people, he didn't say, don't do it because I like them. Don't do it because it's fun. He said, don't do it because you will look bad, God. You rescued us out of Egypt, and now if you bring us out here and blow us up, boom, you will look bad. Don't do it. Aaron and his sons would speak for God. Then they would go to God and they would speak for the people. It goes both ways. It's very, very important that Moses make this stuff right. It was a big deal that it be done exactly correctly. Can I go to the right one. Here's why. God is very serious about anything that happens on earth that's a, an image of, of his world. The place where they serve, this is Hebrews 8.5, place where they serve is a sketch and a shadow of a, the heavenly sanctuary, just as Moses was warned by God as he was about to complete the tabernacle. For he says, see that you make everything according to the design shown to you on the mountain. Make sure you make everything exactly right because it's all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to the kingdom of God. It's all pointing to the ultimate plan. It's all pointing to a time when there will be no need at all for each one of us to teach his countryman or to each one to teach his brother saying, know the Lord, know the Lord, because they'll all know me from the least to the greatest. Not the sons of Aaron. Wait a minute, what? What did you just say? God says, I'm going to be merciful toward their evil deeds and their sins I will remember no longer. God set all this stuff up with Moses and Aaron and the sons and the sacrifices and the tabernacle and the rules and the fear so that he could step right into it where we could not do it. He steps right in. Now Christ has come as the high priest. He passed through the greater and more perfect tent, the tent talking about the tabernacle, the, the holy place that God, that God made. He entered once and for all into the most holy place, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. And so he himself secured eternal redemption. Jesus died on the cross. He himself carried himself spiritually before God as a pure sacrifice. A priest always has to make a sin offering for himself, and then he can make a sin offering for the people. Jesus never sinned, so let's cut straight to the people. Sacrifice. Here it is. Made clean. And now what happens? Now all of us who have been made clean by his sacrifice, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible calls Christians a priestly people. So it's no longer just a tribe. Now all the people are priests. 
It's like, Cora, if you could have just waited a couple thousand years, you would have gotten it. All the people are holy, and now all the people are priests. I was going to burn incense, and while I was getting this ready, I thought, what if I do it wrong? And then I realized, I can't. We're free from that law. We're free from that fear. Me and my second son, he'll be with me next week. We make jokes about he wants to be an archaeologist and find the Ark of the Covenant. But can he touch it? We don't know if we're Levites. It's all right. We are all the priestly people. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own. We're people of his own if we're in him. If you believe it, you're in and you're a priest so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 4. In the last days, difficult times will come. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. They want to burn fire. They don't want to draw close to the source. It's Korah all over again. They love pleasure. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated its power. Korah and those 250 guys, they looked just like the sons of Aaron. They looked just like the sons of Aaron. They were probably dressed the same. Ethnically, they were the same. They were using the same stuff, the same mixture, the same deal. They looked the same. But they were just doing religion for religion's sake. They wanted to do religious things. They wanted to be ethical and be good. They wanted to do the cool stuff. And we know how that ends. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I've come so that you can have life more abundantly. I have learned what that means working at the rescue mission. It means whatever life is, you get it a whole bunch. Abundant life is being closer and deeper to a guy when his brother dies of cancer. But you just met him a week before. And you mourn with him. You get more of life. What does life have to offer? Does life have to offer suffering and pain and, and mourning? Yes. Does it have to celebrate birthdays and births and marriages and reconciliations and victories? Yes. Jesus brings us life in abundance. It's not just religious activities that end in death and you get worn out with. It's yes. Brendan Manning 
said it's a love affair. Jesus takes us to the Father. They pour out the Holy Spirit upon us, not to be nicer people with better morals, but brand new creations, prophets, lovers, and human torches ignited with the flaming spirit of the living God. Prophets, lovers, and human torches. I was at the donut bank one day, and I was describing what my dream church would be. And one of my buddies said, you're not describing a church, you're describing a family. And I said, well, there you go. Prophets, lovers, living torches. People that are a priestly people, burning the holy fire the right way, loving, caring, reaching. Only you can prevent forest fires. Jesus said this about four, three different times. Hosea said it once. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. All of the holy fire and all that business is not what it's about. Knowledge of God. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifices. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God doesn't need us to burn incense to make stuff smell good. That's not why they did that. They did it because they were close to God. And that was part of the activity that being close to God brought about. We, uh, the, the games, the games you guys are bringing in. You don't bring games in, oh, I gotta get a stupid game. All right, everybody else is getting a game. I'm gonna get a game. You get a game because you think, you know what? Those people are reaching out with Jesus and I want to boost them. I wanna put more fuel in their engine to rocket people towards Jesus. So I'm gonna go buy Othello at Toys R Us and stick it in that box. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about next week. I encourage you guys to look this stuff up and uh, dive into it and ask God what he has for you. Can I pray? Holy, awesome, wonderful, fantastic, burning fire God, we love you so much. We are so grateful to you. Thank you for dying for our sins and raising from the dead victorious and living in us and living our lives for us now. That, um, that the life we live, we can live with your life in us. Pray that you'd bless us this week and help us to do it in every way. Show everybody in this room, show every one of us, Lord, how to make this real and, and how to draw near to you in everything we do. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Dan. We're going to move into a time of communion now. And if you're new to Exodus, let me tell you a little bit of how it works. You're, if you're a follower of Christ, you're invited to participate with us. I'm, I'll say a prayer in just a moment. And then uh, there'll be people here at the center and at each aisle. And they'll have bread and they'll have juice. That bread represents Christ's broken body on the cross. The juice represents the blood that he shed. You take a piece of bread, tear it off, dip it in the juice, then that's really your time and your connection with God. You can eat it there. You can take it back to your seat. It's really a personal time for you just to connect to God. At the same time, there'll be people over to your right through those double doors. And if, if you want someone to pray for you, if you're looking um, 
whatever's going on in your life, if you just want someone to say a word of prayer with you, they would be there and they would love to pray with you. If you have a spiritual decision, they would love to help you with that spiritual decision. So let me pray and then we will uh, continue in worship. God, thank you so much for um, making us priests for separating the old law from the new law. And in the, in the new law, we, we, have, we have freedom, we have mercy. Father, you see us as your royal priesthood. You see us as your family. And um, right now we're going to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made that changed all of that from the old to the new. And his death on the cross where he became the ultimate sacrifice and he was without sin so that we could be without sin. Not because we deserve it, but because you're a God that's full of mercy. And we celebrate that together. In Christ's name, amen.
I'm going to close this in prayer in just a moment. And uh, after I do, if you can help us with folding up the chairs and taking them over to the blue wall on your right, that would be a huge help. I want to take a, just a moment and thank Dan Sullivan and his oldest son, Isaac, for being here. Appreciate them coming and sharing God's word. If you want to talk with Dan, he'll stick around here for a while. and love to talk with you. A couple of things we just want to celebrate that have gone on in the life of our church. Uh, Becca and Dane Lockhart got married yesterday. Uh, some of you were here and know Becca and Dane. It was a beautiful, wonderful celebration. Uh, Becca and Dane are both graduates of IU and uh, have been involved in Young Life. And so we're just very happy for them. They're getting ready to head to the Dominican Republic on their honeymoon. But uh, some of you know them and some of you don't. But just um, it was a great celebration. And Exodus's very own Vera Neuenschwander will be competing in Oregon, or Eugene, Oregon today in the pole vault in the Olympic trials. They were rained out on Friday, so they have been moved now to Sunday. So uh, I think there's 24 contestants. There'll be or 24 participants. They'll be taking the top three. So Vera graduated from IU. She spent the that was a year ago. She spent the last year here in Bloomington training for this. So she's hoping to make the Olympics in June, get married in July, and then go to the Olympics in August. So uh, I have already told her that I will be her personal spiritual uh, consultant there for the Olympics if she needs to go, and that I will be right by her side every step of the way in London if she needs. So no one else gets to call that out, okay? I've already taken that. But uh, please be praying. It happened about 4.30 our time, uh, but she's going to be competing, and um, I know she feels good about it, and God's given her the ability, and she wants to just use it and give him the glory. So please pray for Vera. Let me close this in prayer, okay? God, we thank you that we've been able to gather today. We thank you for uh, just the teaching that Dan has shared with us. And uh, help that help us to go out now and, and just really realize and have a deep new understanding uh, of your word and what makes your old law and your new covenant so, so wonderful. And um, we pray for Vera today. Uh, help her just to do their very best and give you the glory and honor. And we celebrate with Dane and Becca. Thanks. Give us a good week. And we look back forward to coming next Sunday and gathering together again. In Christ's name, amen. Have a great weekend.